Hello and welcome to FTD Talk. My name is John James and I'm a writer and campaigner for male victims of female perpetrated domestic violence and an advocate for men's mental health. Today I talk to Dr. Michelle Finnerin, who has a PhD in conflict management and is the author of this book, Surviving Domestic Abuse. We talk about domestic abuse, formal and informal support systems, and why a victim of abuse cannot leave their abuser. It's a good one and I can't wait for you to hear it. But before I go, don't forget to press that like button, smash that subscribe button. The bigger the channel gets, the more people I can help. I hope you find it interesting. You take care now. Peace. Okay, welcome Michelle to F2D Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me, John. I appreciate it. And um, I've read your book, <laughs> Surviving Domestic Abuse. And um, But before we begin, can you tell me who Michelle Finneran is and what's your background? So I have been in this field of psychotherapy for about, and mental, I should say mental health. I was, you know, in my earlier career when I was a teenager, I was a mental health tech. And then I just, you know, kept doing education, getting my bachelor's, my master's, my PhD. And throughout that whole time span, I worked for um, commu local community mental health centers in my area. And then for about oh, 10, 11 years, and then for the past 12, 13 years, I've been in my own private practice called Vecan Associates here in Coral Springs, Florida in the United States. And so what I've been doing is, as of recent, um, I've been wanting to do more educational and more um, informative types of um, projects. For instance, writing books, writing blogs, um, updating my website, um, doing more things that are more educational in nature and more informative for my audience and for other people's audiences, like your, like your audience as mm -hmm. well. Um, my education is in, my, my undergraduate is in psychology. My master's is in mental health counseling. I have a license to practice in the state of Florida, the Department of Health in Tallahassee. And then um, my PhD is actually in conflict resolution and dispute analysis, where I work with couples, families, organizations, municipalities, and I work with them to resolve conflict and to understand the dynamics of the organization or the, the relationship or family. And how did you come to write the book? You seem to have a very varied background. So... Yes. Uh, so when in about 2005, I, I worked for a local community jail um, at, uh, in, in the area. And what where what I was doing there is I was in I was working with inpatient incarcerated female um, um, incarcerated women. And so what I what I found there is when I was doing groups, I was doing a lot of groups and education and I was running a domestic violence, anger management and conflict resolution group. And what, what was happening was I was realizing that as I was doing um, my groups and you know talking individually with the inmates, 
that a lot of these people that were incarcerated, women that were incarcerated, were actually victims of domestic violence. And I found that to be a little disturbing, very disturbing, actually. So much when I went, while this was happening, I was in my PhD program, I brought it to the attention of my chair, my PhD chair, and we actually had discussions about it. And she said, let's look at, let's look at this. Let's look at the system. Let's, let's look at this flawed system that we have going on in the United States. And so what I did is I did a preliminary research on what type of formal supports that domestic violence victims, women, females have, and what, what type of informal supports that they have or don't have. And I did um, a research uh, liter literature review on that. And then as I was doing the research project, I uh, interviewed survivors of domestic abuse. And so that uh, those interviews were very, very eye-opening. It was actually a qualitative study uh -huh. and dissecting the, the saturation of the um, information and in the interviews was just amazing. A lot of, th lot, of, lot of the survivors said a lot of the same things. And um, your book obviously concentrates on female victims of abuse, where yes. uh, it, from my part, I, you know, I concentrate on male victims of abuse. Yes. In the book, though, I found a lot of uh, things that really resonated with me as a male victim of abuse. Um, is there any personality type that uh, makes you more vulnerable to be a victim? I would say someone who is a little bit more um, maybe passive, mm -hmm. passive, um, quiet, maybe someone who is not really off to stand up for themselves. Um, maybe somebody who may have a little bit of a self-esteem, self-confidence issue. Um, definitely, um, it, I feel like uh, a lot of it is, is a learned behavior. So a lot of these female victims learned how to be victims from their family of origin and from their mothers. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship between the mother and daughter with female victims is spot on, um, very important, that same sex um, I don't know. Well, I, I'm interested in knowing from you, John, from your perspective, and I know this is your interview, but I'm interested in knowing what, what in the book resonated with you that are similar in, type, in, in, in nature for, for you as a male victim of DV. I think uh, what, what you've just said about like the, the relationship between uh, the, the female victim in the mother, in my relationship with my mother, she was very dominating. So I think that had a lot to, a lot to do with my abuse. And mm -hmm. also uh, I am very sort of passive and uh, I would, I would say a, a gentle person yeah. and, and not really confrontational. Right. Uh, and I think that had a lot to do with it. And, a lot of what you say, what you said in the book, and about the, especially when we get round to the support systems, and um, the criticism that you you have for some of the support systems, they resonated with me as well because I had a lot of uh, problems with my support systems right. as well. So I think a lot of the the female victims and male victims they have a lot in common. Do they? Mm -hmm. I, think I, so. I, I, I think one of the biggest differences I, I find when I did a little bit of preliminary research on male victims is a different type of a, a different type of humiliation and embarrassment that goes with being a male victim of DV. 
Um, it's different than yeah. a female. It's definitely different than a female victim humiliation. And it's a, yeah, I think that, uh, that men are less likely to come forward and talk about it. Absolutely. I think there is more shame when it, yes. when it comes to a male victim of abuse. Definitely. Um, and the, and the, like when we get around to the support systems, the support systems are, are so different, especially when you come to, uh, work colleagues and, and employers. I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of shame around that that would prevent you from doing that, prevent you from using those as a support system. For it prevents you from speaking out yeah. and really yeah. um, tapping into people that you think you think might have, might be supportive, but then did you realize that they really weren't? I didn't, I wouldn't speak out at work anyway. Okay, I would, I would right. never, I would never speak out at work. And I don't think many, men would because right. because it's like talking to talking to your mates down the pub you know mm -hmm. a, a woman hit me that's mm -hmm. that's gonna that's gonna cause or could cause a lot of laughter a lot of uh making making fun of you so mm -hmm. I don't think you'd really speak out at work I don't right. think there's many men that would right what I found that um women um, what 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 were happening is that the perpetrator would actually go to the victims, the female victims' work, and so that it was the female victim had to be forced to talk to their supervisor, and um, you know have kind of what I would what I recommended for uh, a a person who um, goes to a supervisor as an organization, there needs to have an organizational safety plan. Yeah. for the organization so if a case perpetrator female or male walks upon a work premise that there is a systematic way of doing things and you know mm -hmm. um not gaining access to people and particularly the victim male or female in that in that situation i, I do feel that male victims are much more stigmatized yeah yeah. Um, than female victims. And that makes it extremely hard. Now, no studies have shown even recently, there are more and more and more male victims now. Yeah. Um, and more, more and more aggressive, um, hostile females happening now in our culture. Uh, uh, I don't know where, where, in, where you're okay. at, but that's what we're seeing kind of in the States. Um, seeing more of that happening. Um, yeah, I, f I find from what from the the male victims that I've spoken to on the show, I think there's a difference between the violence as well. The the female female uh, abuser from a lot of people that I've spoken to attacks in the sleep. Okay, and and it is extremely violent. There are so many uh, men that I've spoken to who've been woken up in the morning by having a, a freshly boiled kettle of water poured on them oh my gosh wow. yeah and I, that seems to be a, a, a popular weapon for the yeah. female abuser so yeah. i think the violence is is a lot different as well yeah the, the violence is very different i think for female victims it's a lot of uh, there this starts off very much so emotional abuse mm -hmm. um, and degrading and humiliating and ridiculing, which then turns into, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't 
end up being like a life or death situation. It ends up being that way, but it doesn't start off being that way. You don't yeah. wake up and just like punch your partner. That usually is a buildup that happens over time that um, uh, illustrates more and more deathly and fatal type of injuries and attacks um, yeah. that males that fe- that males have on female um, victims. So, and even even in doctors' offices, when um, when um, a victim would go in, uh, a doctor can describe can see if there what types of markings are on the body and can ask then you know which doesn't happen very often is an assessment when they see some types of you know attack wounds of yeah. some sort. There's usually what medical practitioners really don't do is do an, uh, like a, a, a DV assessment, but there are many, um, out there for practitioners to use. And I think I mentioned some in the, in the book that, yeah. I, that I talked about. Yeah. So, yeah. On the, f- on the flip side, talking about personality mm-hmm. types, is there a personality type or, a, a, a certain person who would become an abuser? Yeah, someone who is um, has a, a, I would I would per, per se feel like a lot of male abusers have personality disorders, um, very narcissistic um, into themselves. It's a type. It's something that I would describe as you know somebody who is extremely charming and um, witty, and someone who is um, you know friendly and everyone loves them outside the scope of the home. I mean, friends with neighbors, like have very, very charismatic personality, but come within the home, a completely different animal we're talking about now. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, like a Jekyll and Hyde, if you will. Like uh, a lot of, a lot of my survivors described the personality types of the perpetrators as like a Jekyll and Hyde. Like you never know what you're going to expect and when in conflict, it's always made out to be like they are they, they are crazy, like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's historically have been that type, like a very manipulative, aggressive, hostile, verbally and physically type of personality trait. Um, so those narcissistic person, antisocial personality disorders, you know, personality disorders that just have no regard no empathy for human existence, human life, you know, yeah. is typically what I, what has been described to me by, by my female victims. And it's exactly the same for um, male victims. Is it? From the, from the men that I've spoken to and I'm, in my experience, it's mm-hmm. exactly the same. The relationship ha- happened very quickly. Yes. Um, with a, a very charming a loving individual mm-hmm. um, who um, who had seemed to have a lot in common with with the what became the male uh, abused, mm-hmm. and the the, the buildup of of aggression, like you like you were like you so eloquently said, mm-hmm. from manipulation to aggression. Yes. was was very gradual it's very so, gradual and and it, you know what the, what's confusing though for a lot of people that have been abused is subtle it can yeah, be very yeah. subtle and it's not like it's not it's not overt 
You know, it's not like yeah. in your face direct. It's very subtle mm-hmm. and it's very like, it's, 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 it's very like calculating. Yeah. If you will, you know, that's what I, that's what I sense. You feel the same way in terms of your experience? In, in my experience, it wasn't subtle at all. Um, yeah. That it, it began with uh, pinching and twisting my skin, punching me in the chest. Okay. Uh, but when I did question it, my manhood was questioned. I thought you're supposed to be a man. Okay. You know, yes. like all I'm doing is playing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wasn't subtle with, with with me at all. And with the the cycle of violent, the cycle of uh, violence that you usually get, cycle of abuse that you usually get, there was no apology on my, my on my part. There was no like honeymoon phase. No, no, no. My my part okay. my partner. When once she'd when she'd uh, begun of abuse, then it was she said to me, "This isn't going to get any better. This is me. It's only going to get worse." Oh wow! So, at least she was honest. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you know what? You know what, John? I really do feel like you know there is a there is a cycle of abuse, and it's typically that cycle of abuse is made for. Um, you know, female victims. Mm-hmm. I I definitely feel like you know, cre- what something that because you're in this field and you have researched it and actually experienced it, there might be a completely different cycle of abuse, and it, it would it would have to take you know interviewing and surveying you know male vi- male victims a different type of abuse, a cycle of abuse for male victimology, yeah. you know? So I definitely feel that that's something that it needs more exploring, needs more research around, needs more um, men stepping up and, and saying, and, and speaking up and exp- explaining and, ex- and talking about in detail their experiences. So what, what, what we know is, you know, um, abuse, tension building honeymoon phase for the cycle of abuse cycle yeah. of violence um it maybe looks something completely different for male victims and that's yeah. something that as as a re, that's a research topic that's open for people to really just kind of examine and explore well in your book you talk you talk about one of the biggest questions that i've been asked why didn't you leave Yes. I'm that you're asked that and question. All the time. <laughs> why yeah. didn't you leave? Why didn't you get out? As soon as it started, why didn't you leave? And to, to be quite honest, I don't know. Because yeah. she was if she was that honest and said, it's not going to stop. I have no idea why I didn't leave. Can you explain a few reasons why people don't leave? Yes. One of the one of the biggest reasons that I talk about on on podcasts is something called and I don't know if this is the same in in, in male victimology, but um, 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 traumatic emotional bonding uh-huh. and that traumatic emotional bonding is something that is um, it's a bonding that happens. It's almost called that like the Stockholm syndrome, where um, the Stockholm syndrome is where captors who went into in Stockholm, Sweden, um, robbed robbed a bank and captured you know uh, a couple of their victims and over time they grew the 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 people that were the perpetrators and robbing the bank um built a relation a traumatic bonding relationship with their victims and their victims actually like um stayed and actually grew very fond 
of their captors. It's, it's a very twisted and it's a very um, convoluted type of bonding that happens, but it's emotional. It's yeah. strictly emotional and it's traumatic. And it's, it's something that is like the perpetrator, whether male or female, works on that, um, that type of bonding and that type of emotional traumatic bonding that um, staples the victim there. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of providers or a lot of people on scene like law enforcement, they don't understand. And that's why that question is always asked, like, why didn't you just leave? Well, you know, it would be easy if it was simple. It's yeah. not simple. It's not simple. You know, you have, you have an emotional traumatic bonding that has happened over time and you've, there's investment there is a, a, a feeling of um, there is a feeling of love there, even though it's dysfunctional type of yeah, love. Yeah. There is a feeling of all that there. So that staples the victim, even though, you know, they are getting abused, it staples the victim right where they uh, where the perpetrator wants them to be right there. And so when people ask that question, why don't you just leave? It's almost like. Is that really a fair question to even ask a victim, male or female? Is that even a fair question to even subject a, a, a victim to? It's almost, I feel like it's almost like a, if you really were on to understand what domestic violence is and the, in, the inside scopes of the emotionality that takes place when you're a victim versus a perpetrator, you will understand that that emotional traumatic bonding is something that staples the victim right where they are and that's why they can't necessarily and sometimes don't even want to leave listen when a, a law enforcement comes to the scene it's a very dangerous situation for law enforcement the victim calls law enforcement the law enforcement comes to the scene arrests the perpetrator the victim then attacks the law enforcement officer that's how that's the, yeah. this is how, this is the cycle that continues to happen. And this is why law enforcement sometimes have such a hard time going to these, um, these, these calls because of the, the amount of danger that's attached to them. Yeah. See, that's different as well with, with male victims. A lot of the male victims that I've spoken to, they've called the police mm -hmm. to, for, for their own domestic violence. The police have arrived and arrested the male. Yes. Yes. Because that seems to be the mentality of yes. that male is, is the perpetrator, the woman is the victim. Right. Um, you, yeah, you also talk about uh, support systems mm -hmm. within, uh, within abuse. Can, we, can you tell me the difference between formal and informal support systems? Sure. So former support systems, the formal support systems are anybody who's professional in nature that helps victims. I'm talking about counselors. I'm talking about lawyers. I'm talking about the court systems. I'm talking about law enforcement officers. I'm uh -huh. talking about clergy or priests or pastors. I'm talking about formal supports. These are all formal supports, judges um, that help the victim that the victim utilize is to help abolish their domestic violence relationship. Uh -huh. Informal supports are not 
professionals in nature. They're more personal in nature. We're talking parents, we're talking relatives, we're talking friends, we're talking neighbors, we're talking coworkers and supervisors. Those are people that are on more of a personal level that are not educated or skilled in helping the victim population. Thank you. Uh, the, the formal support systems that you mentioned, uh, a lot of, again, a lot of men that I've spoken to, uh, and, and including myself, have had huge problems with, with the formal support systems. The police not believing you, not investigating properly. Yes. The, uh, the medical professionals not recognising an abused person, which makes it, di it's difficult for them for the medical professionals, because like, like you said, the, the, the female uh, victims will defend their abuser. Now, when I was, I, was I was taken into hospital because she put me in, in the hospital, I was on crutches for three weeks because she kept me so hard. Mm -hmm. He asked me why, and I defended, I defended it. And I, I just said, oh, I had an accident. Right. I didn't tell him the truth. Why, why right. would... Why would somebody defend an abuser? Be, uh, well, for I feel like for a male, for a male victim, if you if you admit you're admitting that you were attacked by a female perpetrator, mm. it um, you're, then what comes into question is your masculinity, mm -hmm. and you know your question as a as a man, you know and you 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 know that feeling of that level of embarrassment and humiliation that male victims do have when attacked by a female perpetrator comes into play that that comes full force and therefore mm -hmm. instead of admitting and you know there's a lot of shame based around it so then you defend or you make an excuse as to what really did not happen and that's why you're on crutches so again you're almost like saving face if you mm -hmm. will as a as a man having to be masculine in your manhood you know it's you're almost defending that you're not maybe not so much defending her you're defending yourself as a man mm -hmm. in nature do you think that's a, a, a personal thing in in your own head or do you think it's a societal thing what society puts on men i, I definitely i definitely feel it's a societal thing i i feel like it's definitely it's you know it's definitely the type of stereotypes that we we assume that men should be man be a man and what that actually means and definition mm -hmm. defined by society's rules and you know having more having males become victims is it, I would understand why there would be issues with the informal supports mm -hmm. because just because of the so societal stereotypes that are out there for male victimology. Um, so absolutely. I would be, I feel like it's more of a struggle to seek help. And the first part of my book, I talk about seeking help yeah. and why there are such barriers for women to seek help. Well, mm -hmm. the, the barriers are there for men trying to seek help as well. Yeah. Um, just, you know, having that masculinity and that manhood come into question um, really messes with a male's ego and sense of self and pride and, you know, everything that comes along with that. Yeah, so because of the problems that you, you mentioned with uh, support systems, 
different support systems throughout your book and the, the problems that I've encountered and the problems that other male victims have encountered is is that a, a training issue do you think or yes yeah yes yes absolutely I think that you know I think there has to be two separate types of trainings <laughs> one if you're training for a female victim and one if you're training for a male victim, mm-hmm. there, yeah. you know, there has to be two separate types of, because there are two separate types of um, ideologies that take place with these, this yeah. two, two, two very different types of victimizations, you know, I would say. So in terms of what but the research that I did on the female victimology is that training definitely needs to take place, understanding of what domestic violence entails um, and, and why that question, why didn't you just leave, really needs to be negated and understanding as like that emotion, traumatic emotional bonding yeah. um, really needs to, it needs to be understood in formal supportive systems. Yeah, I've, I've, always, I've always fought for equity, not equality, mm-hmm. because I do think that a different approach needs to be taken, whether it's a male victim or a female victim, very much so. Right, Um, absolutely. One of the other uh, uh, support systems that you mentioned is uh, blogging. And I found that writing my book was hugely cathartic. Yes. Why why do you think that is? Why do you think writing things down is so powerful? I think because you have a, you, when you have a story, especially a personal story um, that you, that is untapped, your book, your book is popular and it's needed in society because it goes untapped. Mm-hmm. It's untapped that there's not a whole lot of that. Meaning what I'm saying is untapped is there's not a whole lot of literature out there on male victimology. Yeah, true. So that's why when I did the literature review, I found gaps when I was writing my book at that time on um, supportive systems for female victimology. So the reason why you, you, you realize that number one, there's a large gap in research and in literature about your topic about male victimology, huge. Mm-hmm. Not many people have written about it. Not, pe- not pe- many people have discussed it not many men want to talk about it mm-hmm. you are yeah. opening your that your book opens the dialogue it opens the conversation it opens by you explaining and sharing your experience as a male victim you are making it acceptable for men to step up and voice up you mm-hmm. know and that you are you are almost like a vessel for other men and i, I, I know it sounds kind of like maybe a lot of people that are authors don't really feel that, that they are a vessel for a population that is silenced Mm -hmm. or feel like shame-based. And so you having, you writing this book, it's almost a vessel to other male victims to say, you know, if you are a male victim, this is how you get help. This is what's really going on here. Let's, let's, let's have, let's have me more accepting and less stigmatizing with this, this particular topic. So you writing this book was probably for you on many levels, cathartic Mm -hmm. and therapeutic for you, um, uh, just for you as a person, John, 
but also what it did is allowed other people, other males to realize and accept the fact that, okay, now when, when, when anytime when people see similar experiences or related experiences, they feel like they're able to stand up a little bit firmer in their stance when other people are going through what they're going through. You know, so yeah. you act, you acted, you writing this book acted as a vessel for other male victims to speak up on your podcast mm. to talk about these things that are not really talked about. Yeah, I do. Even even though people have come forward, men have come forward to speak on on the on the show, and there has been a very positive reaction towards the book. I still think there's an apathy out there. I still think that that more men need to take control because I, I think that is a, the uh, the whole uh, center of everything the whole core of everything is to take control to own what happened to you male or female mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter but I, I think taking control of of that and uh, regaining the the power that you have yeah I think it's, it's extremely re- important. It's a- it is. It's a restorative power that needs to be, you know, re- imp- like a sense of empowerment. In the last part of my book, you know, I talk about an empowerment model uh-huh. for victimization um, and having victims that do feel empowered to speak up and talk about their experiences and share and share and shed some light on what they went through leads other women or other victims to stand up and speak up as well so that level of empowerment taking back your power restoring your power is Mm -hmm. very important for victimization going on to uh informal support systems uh family and friends i don't know about female how you found female uh well i do because i've read the book but (laughs) if you could tell us about how females found the support system of family and friends i couldn't tell my family and friends i i was too embarrassed about it but how did females find it um well um females um when they shared their experiences um uh the, the like again the mothers of the survivors were not emotionally available mm-hmm. for their daughters, which made it very hard. And a lot of the the um, male, the, the, the mothers of the female victim actually sides with the perpetrator and um, makes the uh, not really believing their daughter. You know, yeah. it reinforces <laughs> that kind of um, dismissiveness for the victim. So I found that there was not a whole lot of emotional support coming from the same sex parent um, for female victims. Um, not, a, not a whole lot of emotional support. Mm-hmm. Now there's tangible support. If you need help with babysitting, if you need help with money, if you need help with housing, I'm there. But um, yeah. that's not really what female victims needed from their mothers. They really needed the emotional understanding and the emotional support from their mothers. And that was just not available to them. Yeah. And so when, when that's not available and it, when you're growing up and in your rearing, it's not there, 
you seek it out other ways in your intimate partner relationships. You seek it out in, you know, similar ways, you know, um, than, than what you've experienced growing up in your family of origin. So I, I don't know if it's the same in, in the male victim population, but that's how, that's how it kind of went down for, for female victimization. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of females did go to their friends and their friends actually recommended you know, them seeking formal supports like a mental health counselor to talk yeah. um, more thoroughly about how to get help and how to abolish and when in time their relationship. I think the, the men that I've spoken to, they find they found it difficult to go to friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was after the relationship was over, she didn't understand that the aftermath of, of abuse, she was mm-hmm. like, the relationship's over. Okay, just go on with your life now. That's fine. Right. <laughs> so right. doesn't right. didn't understand that it doesn't stop with the end of end of the abuse. Right. Um, and my friends were like, chuck the bitch out. That was mm-hmm. it. <laughs> it right. was there was no sympathy there. It's like their attitude was I wouldn't stand for it chuck her out yeah that was it you know there's no understanding there so that's where male victims seem to stand so it's again it's different it's definitely different and you know for 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 male male victimology the 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 not knowing in terms of formal supports on how formal supports need to support male victims and there's a, not a whole lot of understanding with informal supports from what I'm gathering from you based on your experiences and who you've spoken to in regards to this you try trying to utilize some supports and that's what prevents male victims from speaking up there's not a whole lot of you know you know backing there what do you think needs to to happen with both formal support systems and informal support systems to um to to get a good base to to really really support a victim i i think they they need to know they well i think that there needs to be a distinction between uh what a male victim goes through versus a female victim goes through i think they're two separate entities that Uh need to be discovered so i think you know just because a victim just being a victim you know, means one thing for a male, then means something completely different for a female. So I think that separation needs to happen. And that's why I think like a cycle of violence, particularly for male victimology is going to be really important because that cycle of violence and that cycle of abuse really goes for female victimology. Um, so I definitely feel that there is a distinction between male, male victimology versus female victimology. And so with that being said, I think you know, again, your book is probably a pioneer in in the field of male victimology as to having that gap be filled up with more research, more experiences, more stories, more, you know, more information educational wise um, of that in itself. So it's, it's, it's not just like more research needs to be done, more writing needs to be done about it, more, more um, interviewing of, um, you know, male, male, male victimology and, and female victimology. 
Um, but also training, like how we, now that we have the research and we have the data, what, what do we do with this? Like, how do we put it in a training model for, you know, formal supports? How do we, how do we, <coughs> excuse me, how do we train informal supports? What do we need to do? Uh -huh. <coughs> excuse me, with that information. The information is there but is the training available for yeah. professionals to really know how to handle a male victim? It's not, yeah. it's not there. It's not there. We're just starting to realize that it's becoming more and more of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Especially over lockdown, the, uh, the, the numbers of male victims have gone through the roof. I don't know about the States, but I know here they have. Yeah where the uh, female, <clears throat> female victim numbers stayed pretty much the same. Male victims went through the roof. See, so. in the States, what happened was um, female victims went through the roof mm -hmm. here in the States. Yeah. And perpetrators, um, now what we're seeing with the aftermath of the pandemic is a lot of um, family um, counseling, a lot of... Um, divorces and separations happening yeah. um, po post pandemic um, because of, you know, living in such close quarters and um, <clears throat> being right under your thumb of your perpetrator. Finally, um, if somebody is in a, a violent relationship or an abusive relationship, what would your advice be to them? To prepare, to prepare to leave? I, I definitely, regardless if you're a male or if you're a female victim, I definitely feel like a planned out safety plan mm -hmm. needs, needs to take place. The point of leaving the toxic abusive relationship is probably the most dangerous time period for males and females that are victims. Yeah. That, that, that leaving, the separation is when violence really skyrockets. Uh -huh. um, so I feel like a, a, a thought out, planned out methodical safety plan on secure security, safety, um, well-being, um, you know, um, needs to needs to be developed for both the males and the females that are victims. Um, so there is no way that the perpetrator can penetrate their, themselves in, in the victimology sphere. Um, a lot of people, what they do is they get restraining orders that need to be on person. And <clears throat> even, for vic even for male victims, you know, that restraining order um, needs to be on the person. And when the, the female victim comes, the female perpetrator comes so close that that call needs to be had and that paperwork needs to be shown. And that's what happens. That's literally how it goes down in the States. Uh -huh. um, there are, there are things that uh, a, a person can do. Friends suggest for vic female victims to go to a counselor, the counselor, there's a specific way that the counselor can help the a female victim and meet them where they're at in terms of their abusiveness and um, kind of develop with them in time 
a way, an escape plan. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And yes. we've, we've talked a lot about uh, violence and uh, uh, verbal abuse. There are many different types of abuse. Could you just run through a, a few types of abuse for me? There is, there is um, all different types of abuse. We're talking emotional, mental, you know, which means like name calling, ridiculing, belittling. There's neglect is also abuse, like being neglectful to your partner is also a type of abuse, like emotional neglect. Um, there's financial abuse where um, uh, monies are being hidden or monies are being omitted. And um, for there's financial abuse, there's spiritual abuse or religious abuse where you, people use the scriptures and the biblical sense to um, exert power and control over their, over the victimology. Um, so there's that, there's physical abuse that takes place. Um, and um, you were talking about punches, slaps, um, weapons involved with uh -huh. this as well there's sexual abuse that takes place for both men and women you know as, as well yeah. um so there's these there's all different levels and types of spheres of abuse that that do take place and that can be used methodically on on a victim yeah i'm, I'm one of the things that i'm interested in is mm -hmm. trying to change the definition of, of rape to because at the moment rape is a uh, a, a male crime mm -hmm. it's all to do with with penetration and mm -hmm. i'm i'm trying to fight for the change in the definition mm -hmm. of that because i believe i was raped during my uh relationship okay i, I had i had sex and several times for fear of what would happen if i didn't right for retaliation yeah. Purposeless. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. So that's a big, a big issue of contention. With well, that's, me. So that's also, that's also a very, you know, it's, that's, that's a, like a retaliatory rape. It, you would mm. call it, it yeah. you know, it's almost like if you don't have sex with me, these are going to be the repercussions yeah, of you exactly. not having sex. And that's for a man that puts a lot of, um, a pressure and, um, fear, you know, fear, of yeah. what will happen if I don't perform and if I don't do what I need to do sexually um, yeah. to my perpetrator. So it, it, it definitely leaves a, a, a feeling of like almost like a, a mind, a confusion and a mind thing happening for the male victimology. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And finally, <clears throat> what does the future hold for Michelle Finneman? The future holds, I am in the process of um, uh, projecting a, a different, a different, completely different type of topic um, in terms of a project, a new writing project uh -huh. um, that I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I, I developed a proposal for and I'm reached out to a couple people um, to look at it and um, propose it to um, some literary agents and stuff like that so uh -huh. 
and something that I'm finding in my practice, in my practice, I work really with a lot of first responders. I, I work with police officers. I work with detectives. I work with um, firefighters. I work with nurses. I work with, you know, teachers. I work with a lot of people that are on the front lines, especially during this pandemic. And I'm just doing a little bit of a research on how the pandemic has affected these people that have been on the front lines, having to do their jobs and facing the pandemic right in their face every single day and having to deal with it. Um, so it's, it's something that I'm very interested in doing. I'm still interested in um, blogging and educating. I'm interested. I, I used to I, I used to be a, a associate professor at Ashford University uh, as, as a teacher. Um, I'm not doing that as much anymore because I'm more interested in the writing author as author, um, you know, um, public publications. Um, so I'm doing more of that. Um, so I'm seeing right now uh, between October and um, December, beginning of January is a very, very, very busy time in my practice. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of clients that are in a lot of need right now, yeah. um, <clears throat> particularly during the holiday season, just having lost so many people dur during the pandemic and going through some grief and issue, grief and bereavement issues as well. Um, so right now it's, a, a, you know, come, come the beginning of the year, we're going to set some new career goals. We're going to get some more ideas out there. <clears throat> we're going to learn, we're going to, we're going to try to teach and educate and instruct and inform, um, in different venues. I'm collaborating with an agency, um, come the beginning of the year in the, in the States, um, being, uh, setting up some curriculum and some modules for some trainings. So I'm excited about that. So just, you know, new things that are coming. I have a couple cities that are interested in, um, on knowing about my services and, possibly helping uh, certain municipalities out in, in the Broward County. Mm -hmm. Very, very busy lady. <laughs> very, very busy, very busy. But you know what, John, I'd rather be busy than bored. I, oh, yeah, I like, yeah. I, I, like, I like to be productive. I, like, I love to help people. It's my aim. It's my mission. And I, I, I'm just, I'm just like that kind of muscle through these things, you know, and kind of try to get to as many people as I possibly can. I, I'm really right now, I'm on a, a micro level. I really want to start working on a macro level. Mm -hmm. Oh, God bless you for that. Thank you. Well, thank you. I wish you all the best in all the projects that you've undertaken. Thank you so much. I appreciate and it. Thank you very, very much for talking to me today. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. I, I look forward to um, getting your book and you know reading it. And I'm I'm just really interested in that perspective. I will I will research as to where the book is. But I did a little bit. I did a little preliminary research, and it's it's it's, it's innovative what you wrote. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's very yes. kind. You're welcome. Okay, Michelle. Thank you very much. You're Bless welcome. You. you take you care. Too. Bye bye you now. Too. Bye bye.